following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. morning's New Testament reading is from Isaiah 11 and can be found on page 697 of the Church Bibles. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. We now turn to today's New Testament reading, which is from Matthew 3, uh, and can be found on page 967 of the Church Bibles. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Well, good morning. So I was waiting for it. The 26th of November it happened. The question 
that I normally dread at this time of year. So are you all sorted for Christmas? Now, I grew up in a family where occasionally the odd present was still being wrapped after midnight communion on Christmas Eve. But this year, I was delighted that although I couldn't say to this person I was sorted, I was further on than I have ever been. Yes. So the countdown to Christmas has really begun in earnest. But Christmas is not the only thing that we're counting down to at the moment. We've got the countdown to the election, and in the background, the countdown to Brexit, or not. Countdown and waiting. And preparations of all sorts are being made, whether it's buying presents, writing cards, making sure your passport is up to date, or reading all of those political manifestos that keep coming through the letterbox. We are waiting and preparing. And in the Matthew passage we read today, the Jews of early first century Palestine were also waiting and making preparations. They were waiting, as Tom Wright says, for the return of the king They had had no king since the exile hundreds of years before. And it reminded me of the last book in the the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And the last one's called The Return of the King. There was a sense of longing that if the king could just come back, then all would be well. But it was no ordinary king these Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for God's chosen one who would bring about his sovereign rule, the kingdom of God breaking into our world. And so they were making preparations. They were getting ready. And John the Baptist, the last of these Old Testament style prophets, was the one who was calling people to get themselves ready. He was very clear that being a Jew Being one of God's chosen people was not enough. They needed to repent. They needed to change their ways. In verse 5, we see that people went out to him from Jerusalem and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and being baptized. They knew they were not ready for this one John the Baptist was talking about. They knew they needed cleansing. There had not been a prophet like this for a very long time, and this sense of expectation was really increasing. But what would this new king be like? What exactly were they waiting for? Well, I think from John's description, he sounds slightly terrifying. He's more powerful than John, who they can clearly see is called by God. His winnowing fork, whatever that is, is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn. He's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But who was the chaff? Who was the wheat? No wonder people were rushing out to repent and be baptized. For those like the zealots, who were really anxious for the overthrow of the Roman Empire... 
in Palestine. Perhaps these words were thrilling, but for others, maybe a bit unnerving. And yet in the background, I wonder if some of them were pondering um, Isaiah's prophecy that had just a slightly different slant. They might have heard these words read in the synagogue. Maybe they even learnt them. And it's to these that we now turn. Because the one who was promised in Isaiah was truly all they could want. So in the passage that we looked at, the first verse speaks of this shoot that's coming up from the stump of Jesse. So the royal tree of David, they had, they'd had a line of kings in the line of David that had been cut down. But now there's going to be new growth. But it's not, it's not talked about as a, as a king of David, it's talked about the stump of Jesse. Because Jesse, David's father, was from an obscure background. And yet from this obscure start, God's purpose is going to be revealed. And this king is going to be like no ordinary king. He will be equipped with the spirit of the Lord. And it wasn't going to come on him temporarily like the kings of old. It's going to rest on him, remain on him. And he will have everything that is needed for perfect rule. He's going to have wisdom understanding, counsel, discernment, and power, as John the Baptist have said. Supernatural knowledge, a right attitude towards the Lord, and he's going to delight in doing what the Lord has said. He would be a leader who cared about the poor, but taking firm decisions when needed and would not shrink from using strong words to cut through evil practices, striking the earth with the rod of his mouth, acting with integrity. And there's a similarity here to what John had said. He is not going to be a pushover. For those people who were so oppressed by the Romans, who were taxed by them and by their own people, the longing must have been tangible. And I wonder if we can empathize with that sense of longing, someone who will change things. Maybe we've been in a situation in our own lives, the lives of people we know, maybe like things in Parliament, we're longing for change, someone who will come and will sort everything out. Could such a person be a reality? And so they were waiting. But then... The tone of Isaiah changes. Verse 1 to 5 is spoken of this promised one who's coming. But then 6 to 9, it's almost mythological. It sort of talks about a change in the created order, like an end to violence between creatures. The lion's going to lie down with the lamb. The child is going to play near poisonous snakes. Would this happen when the promised king came? Was this metaphorical? Is it sort of speaking of evil people interactive peaceably with children? Or is it literal? Is this some new relationship in creation in an age that is to come, 
similar to what Paul says in Romans 8, when creation itself will be liberated, will be freed from its bondage to decay. It's as if Isaiah has zoomed in on this one person who will embody these characteristics, but then he's moved out in time and space. He's pointing to the time when the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, when the nations will rally, or as some translations say, they will inquire, they will come to the root of Jesse, when Israel's God will be their God, and the blessing of Israel will flow out to the other nations. It reminded me a little bit of a scene in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, if any of you know that book, when Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking to the children and they quote this ancient prophecy. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. At the start of the passage, there's a nearness, a solidity when speaking of the promised one But then it's followed by an intangible promise, not yet within reach, almost on a far-off horizon. No wonder the Jews were not sure what to expect. But no wonder they were waiting with such expectation. So what did they get? Well, if you know the Christmas story, you will know that the promised one did come. But the story didn't end at Christmas. For the baby grew up and he began to live as Isaiah had prophesied. And then after his death, the disciples begin to walk in his footsteps, clothed with that same Holy Spirit that John had predicted. What a marvelous thing that they got what they were promised. But... If we live after Jesus has come, then why are these waiting passages, these, the Church of England set readings for this second Sunday of Advent? Because I think in some senses we are still waiting, and I don't just mean for Christmas, which is extremely exciting. I think that in our daily lives, we find ourselves living in what is sometimes called the now and the not yet. We're after the first half of these Isaiah reading, but we're before the second bit. We see God's goodness breaking through in many situations, but in many we don't. We see answers to prayer for healing for some and not others. In world events, we see amazing breakthroughs. Some of you might remember the pulling down of the Berlin Wall, the Good Friday Agreement, And yet we're now faced with new challenges, migration, terrorism. But I think it's a comfort that the New Testament writers also struggled with this tension. In Hebrews 2, the author says, In putting everything under Jesus' feet, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. We don't. I was asked recently, why is there so much bad in the world? Yet at the same time, we see so much beauty. We do not 
yet. See the fulfillment of the second half of that Isaiah 11 passage. And maybe that's why Paul spoke of waiting in Romans 8. Because actually, there's a lot of waiting in the Bible. God seems to work on a completely different timescale to ours. Think of Abraham waiting all those years for the fulfillment of the promise of a son. Peter says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. This does not sound like the sort of waiting you do at a bus stop or in a queue at a checkout or perhaps even waiting while someone has an operation. Oswald Chambers, who lived in the last century, spoke of waiting for God more as farmers wait for a harvest or perhaps expectant parents are waiting for a baby to be born. It's active waiting. We know something's coming, but it's not here yet and there are things to be done in the meantime. But waiting is often very hard. It's a time of uncertainty, and therefore sometimes anxiety. So where does all this talk of waiting, the now and the not yet, where does that leave us as we await the election, Christmas, Brexit, What might these passages say as we live in what one commentator called the interval between yesterday's promise and tomorrow's redemption? Three points. Firstly, on a personal level, John the Baptist still calls to us today, are you ready for the Lord? He talks about sorting, clearing, repenting, but it's not for its own sake. I wonder if this might be about making space, making space in our lives. For Jesus, the ultimate gift, also comes laden with gifts. Love, joy, peace, comfort, strength, hope, a new vision, a new challenge. And we need space to receive him and what he brings. Perhaps amidst the busyness of preparations for Christmas, we might be able to carve out a bit of time to create that space so that this Christmas we are ready to receive from him. Secondly, on a wider scale, I think this leaves us with a longing for the righteous and just government promised in Isaiah and encourages us to pray for this and get involved. One of the rhythms of grace of the community of St. Cuthbert, which some of us are starting to explore, is social justice. And as we approach the election, let's ask God to guide us, guide our country as we vote, to guide and equip the new leader, whoever they may be, We may have very different political views, but we can still come together and we can pray earnestly for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth, and we can join with those who are seeking to work to make a more just society a reality. Thirdly, 
these passages leave us with a message of hope. As we live in this tension between the now and the not yet, waiting for the complete fulfillment of these promises, maybe promises to us, we can hold on to this truth. John's prophecy did come true. The one who was promised did come. The spirit of the Lord did rest on him. He was full of knowledge and understanding. He did delight in doing the will of the Father. And he was raised up as Isaiah promised. And his empty cross, his empty tomb, stand as a banner of hope for all who love him across the nations and across the ages. And that same Holy Spirit who rested on Jesus is available for us who believe. We wait for him to act in our lives. Our country and the world, we wait for the earth to be full of the knowledge of the Lord. But while we wait, he waits alongside us. And in this place of waiting, the writer to the Hebrews speaks to encourage us again. Do not throw away your confidence, which will be richly rewarded. Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. The king is coming. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.